Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello everybody and welcome to Writers on Film. My name is John Bleasdale. I am a writer and film critic and today I am going to be talking to Rahul Desai. He is a writer and film critic who has written for newspapers such as The Hindu, Ari, Open Magazine and First Post. Um, He has been professionally reviewing films since 2013 and has a dedicated film companion byline since 2016. Uh, what I, the reason I really wanted to talk to Rahul was because uh, we met in uh, at a film festival in Norway, in Tromsø, and uh, note my perfect Norwegian pronunciation. And uh, we talked about how um, films intersect life and intersect life. Sorry, not insect life, but intersect life. Unless you're watching a David Cronenberg film, in which case films insect life. Of course they do. Um, And uh, I was particularly interested in how he was um, going about this in terms of his columns. And so I really wanted to talk to him. I also wanted to talk to him because... um, Indian cinema is very much a blind spot for me. It's very much one of those holes that I um, I have. Well, you will hear me explain uh, during the podcast, so I, I won't I won't reiterate it now or anticipate what I'm going to say. Um, if you enjoy the episode, please remember to like and to subscribe. This is our 94th episode. It's been a, a wonderful trip so far. I hope you've enjoyed it. By all means, feel free to go back and listen to any of the earlier episodes. There are no paywalls. There's no patron. Patreon. There's no. There's. There. I've only recently put adverts in just to cover my my subscription fees for the various services that I need to use to put out the podcast. But um, it's really um, it's really more to have these conversations online. This is my motivation. Partly, I get paid by the fact that I have really interesting conversations with really interesting people, such as Rahul, uh, and that in a, that in itself, I would quite happily pay to have that experience every week. Have a really good. Some people do therapy. I do film conversations. Um, uh, so, um, but but there is a really now there is a huge back 
catalogue of great guests. And the other great thing about the podcast, to blow my own trumpet for five seconds, is that it's not really uh, necessarily topical in the sense that people have, have written these books to last for years, to last for decades, hopefully. And so um, they are... It, it, it doesn't matter when you listen to the episode, uh, they'll still be relevant to their subject. So by all means, go back and, and pick through some of our our uh, back catalogue. OK, that's enough of me wittering on about nothing in particular. Um, the more important thing is for me to thank Ellie Atkins for the music, Ali Howard for the artwork. And thank you, uh, listener, and enjoy the episode. So basically, my primary job is a weekly film critic. I review Hindi films uh, for this website called Film Companion. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I do my reviews every week. But at the same time, I have a column um, on the side, which I do fortnightly. Mm -hmm. um, it was So I started it back in 2015 or so. Um, I was writing for this newspaper called The Hindu, uh, which is... Uh, big publication in India and from 2015 to 2020 I was doing a column where basically it's an intersection of films and life mm. um, and more of a culture column than a cinema column so to say but it's it's basically just it's sort of investigating my own relationship with cinema um, over the years and uh, so uh, you know a lot of personal essays a lot of um, film meets um, life meets uh, film columns uh, so uh, from till 2020 till before till around the time covid stuck i was uh, doing that column for the hindu and it became a different column for another publication uh, called news 9 uh, it was called focal point so i did that for like a, a year or year and a half and uh, and yeah uh, so that's pretty much the gist of my column that's the kind that's the sort of writing um, I'm really primarily interested in uh, and obviously reviewing teaches me uh, a lot about the craft itself but um, th that's the that's the sort of writing I want to pursue because at some point I plan to maybe write a novel a fiction novel at, uh, so yeah that's so that's what uh, that's what I really so excited me about talking to you uh, in the context of the podcast because I because we were talking about so you so you're the first writer on film that I've got whose whose book is in the future. <laughs> it is it is in the future and I I'm just convinced that if I keep saying it, it'll happen. Yeah, uh, and so that I don't sleep on it for forever. But uh, to be honest, uh, I mean I know it sounds a little weird, but I'm. I'm actually waiting to live a little more before I write that book because it, it's it's sort of semi-memoir and auto-fiction almost. So mm -hmm. um, I have something in mind, but I'm just waiting to get a little older before I write it because I, I don't think I'm ready yet. Mm, you need a little bit more life. What, that's, yes. that's, that's an admirable... Uh... Uh, admirable bit of restraint on your part because there are plenty of people who know, who just sort of plow straight onto the writing without living their yeah. life. So how did your how did your sort of love of cinema start then? How does that I mean to 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 sort of key into your life as you as you you do in your writing? So so I'm I think like many I know I'm an accidental critic. Um, mm. In the sense, I didn't know it existed as a profession for the longest time. I didn't know you could make a living out of writing. Um, I started pretty late. And I know this for a fact that you started late because I just read your piece recently. Uh. And uh, But but in terms of um, in terms of a career myself, uh, at least in terms of what people do here, I started pretty late because uh, I, I, did, I have a science background in college. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I majored in statistics. I, I was going to go the conventional way. Uh, sort of looking for a job in uh, market research and stuff. I did that for around a month before I realized that, you know, I can't sit in a cubicle all my life. Or, and it just, you like, I felt like one of those movie characters where you get existential and you just run out of the office and never come back, which is literally <laughs> what I did. Uh, and then I, I sort of just like, like, you know, it's a cliche, but then I just started uh, watching a lot of movies. I started attending a few film festivals in Mumbai. 
which is where I'm based. And uh, have you always been I in Mumbai? Have you always been in Mumbai? Uh, no, I actually grew up in a city called Ahmedabad uh, mm. in the state of Gujarat, which is on the western coast. Uh, I, I spent. I, I was there. I did my schooling there. I came. I moved to Mumbai when I was around sixteen or seventeen. So more than half my life I've been here now. So this is more home than my hometown now. So mm. so yeah, I did my college in Mumbai, and um, uh, after sort of just um, you know spending a year just watching films and attending a few film festivals, I decided that this could be sort of a career. So I, I, I that that's how. I I wanted to I knew I wanted to become some sort of writer because um, because uh, when I was in school I used to love writing essays quite a lot I used to hate uh, every other subject but I I was pretty good at least for my age uh, when I used to write these letters and essays and summaries so I thought that maybe I could write in the future but I didn't know what kind of writing I wanted to do uh, I I initially thought I'll become a screenwriter. um and that's what i studied for in fact i did a course for a year uh, on filmmaking um in uh, after my uh, degree year and uh, that's how i started basically i i got into the industry more or less i started assisting writers i started assisting directors doing a doing odd jobs basically for 3 or 4 years i was drifting about before uh, one of my friends put me onto a film blog called apostol.com uh, which which basically writes about um, Uh, uh, a lot of indian cinema and it's it's just it's a sort of free thing so i just started um, writing i just started reviewing films for them on the side thinking that you know i'm going to get free movie tickets i'm just going to maybe attend uh, uh, screenings yeah so um, so yeah that's that's how i i started reviewing films on the side i thought you know i'm going to just um, uh, sort of be in touch with the kind of cinema that's releasing out there uh what started as sort of almost a freeloading gig then soon became uh, a very integral part of my life because then once i started reviewing films more often writing about films more often i thought that this is what i want to do because so a lot of people here what they do is they first become film critics and then get into the film industry say as writers or directors i think i went the opposite way i i started out wanting to be a screenwriter and ended up uh becoming a film critic because i i started um um i i really got into the entire practice of watching movies every week and writing about them and discovering a lot about myself as well because it it really helped me get in touch with who i was as a person uh, as odd as it sounds writing about film i guess or writing about any kind of art does that uh, so so more than watching um a lot of movies i i also enjoyed writing about them just as much and uh, mm-hmm. i started educating myself like like most self taught critics i guess it, it's more or less the same journey it's just that um uh, yeah it took me a little longer to get there yeah it's really interesting what you say about how it 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 sort of becomes a form of self education as well because there's that thing of like if you're not a film critic if you're just watching movies casually which is which is yeah. there isn't much difference in terms of you know if you watch films and you think about them then you're becoming a film critic regardless but yeah. it, uh, the one difference i would say for a film critic is you're kind of forced to watch any film you know it's not like yeah. you're you're not just following your enthusiasms so you have to sit and think okay i don't i don't usually like musicals but yeah. <laughs> i i've got to learn how what how they work and what happens and what makes a good musical what makes a bad musical because otherwise i'm not doing my readers i'm not doing the film itself mm. any 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 uh, uh, i'm not doing it justice if I, if i'm just sitting there going ugh musical rubbish you know and by the way i love musicals and that was just the first thing that came to mind yeah, yeah. no i totally and i absolutely agree with that because i i think like um i think film criticism um and writing about film in general is about what you do in between the things you really want to do right mm. like it's it's like a lot of other jobs are the same in art are the same it's about how you're spending the days in between uh your good days and uh, we don't get to watch great films every single week and I, i see a lot of people on the outside saying oh wow you have a great job you get paid to write about movies i was like uh yeah i mean i i will not begrudge my job i love my job but um a lot of it is trying to find a new language 
um, to basically write about the same kind of films or different kinds of films, as you said, films you may not want to watch on a particular week, in a particular month, genres you don't like. So, so that sort of education that you give yourself and the fact that you have to do it because it is your job in a way, uh, uh, that for me is the core of film criticism because uh, I find myself learning a lot more when I actually end up writing about films I don't want to write about. When I don't have mm. much to say and I'm trying to find a different way to say the same thing. That, okay, this film is just bland. It's it's just how many different ways can you say that in? What, what new language can you find to engage the reader and to engage yourself as a, as a thinker? Uh, and for me, I think, especially because I review Hindi cinema week in and week out, with, uh, and I review like, on an average, I review like three films a week here. So because there are so many films coming out, uh, I think 80 or 90% of them, uh, like any other film industry, is below average or mediocre or mm-hmm. terrible. Um, mm-hmm. And that's when I find myself tested maximum as a as a writer or as a professional, because that is... Um, that's the unglamorous part of the job that nobody sees. Uh, and I guess the Fablemans and the the big films that we keep hearing about in awards, uh, in sort of award season, that, that doesn't happen often enough. And when it does happen, when you do watch a film that inspires you write, to write about it, or that inspires me to maybe write up, say something personal about it, that I connected to it personally, um, when it does happen, you have to be alert enough to catch it because by then you're sort of almost beaten into submission by a lot of other work you're doing in the week a lot of other trash you may not want to write about but you're doing because you must and uh, but then you need to be uh, constantly focused enough to know that when that moment comes you need to catch it and make the most of it because that's the writing people will read years from now and look back on uh, when they think about you as a critic and that's the writing that matters. But to get there, you have to keep doing a lot of stuff you don't want to. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a really that's a really interesting that's a really interesting point. And it's uh, I think it I think it can be true as well. Of I I I find film festivals like this because I think you know at film festivals you might have two or three days where you're watching four films a day. And mm. you might have two or three days where you don't see anything that you particularly like. And it's not even the, you know, the things that, as you say, beat you into submission are, are not necessarily the bad films. It's kind of the okay films, the things yeah. that you don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's, I mean, that's the, that's kind of the hardest review to write is the, it's, a, there's nothing wrong with it. It's okay, you know, but yeah. it's not exciting or new or or, or anything like that. And I, I, yeah. I would put I would put the Fablemans in that category, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know we talked we talked about this. I remember that. Uh, but yeah, just to give you a very off the cuff example. But yeah, I mean, it, it is it is that the middling ones are the toughest to write about. But uh, but what it does is by the time Friday comes around and say by chance you watch uh, a very good film that nobody's heard about, it could be at a film festival. It could be anywhere. Uh, by the you're mentally a little tired, you're psychologically almost out of the week. You're looking forward to a Sunday to just sort of recharge yourself. But then you realize that you have to write this piece because this is the time, this is the moment, and uh, and this is what you were probably waiting for a whole week without realizing it. And uh, that I find difficult most of the time because uh, we have like one or two big films. Uh, when I say big films, I don't mean good films. The films that everyone, the mainstream blockbusters, in, in even in Bollywood and Hindi cinema, say once in two months uh, is a spectacle sort of film. Mm. Uh, it more or less turns out to be bad. But the thing is, uh, as a critic, you have to keep remembering that that's the only review that people will read. And that's mm. the only review, that's the only piece that people will judge you by. So by the time that film comes around, you've done probably 20 other pieces in that week alone. And you're wondering that, uh, you're wondering how unfair it is that by the time you've reached that uh, that piece, you uh, the, the big film that everyone's uh, dying to read about, um, you almost, you're almost out of steam. So for me, it's almost, it's always about having to temper uh, sort of rhythm through the month and sort of building up to uh, a film that you know that you're, uh, everyone's going to read about and, and your work is going to be judged by. I always find it difficult to sort of stay on the ball uh, when the big film comes around. 
So talking of big films, so it's a, hasn't there just been, and you're going to have to be, at, you're going yeah. to have to be very forgiving with my ignorance in terms of Indian yeah. cinema. We've already had uh, talked about this a little bit as well. Um, there was a big film came out like last week, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called Patan. Uh, Patan, it's, it's, right. um, Yeah, it's a massive uh, film in mainstream Hindi cinema, which everyone knows as Bollywood. And uh, uh, as it turns out, when Patan released, I was in Norway. <laughs> and uh, and I, and I'm like, what will this do to my career? Because this is literally the biggest film of the year, and I'm uh, I'm millions of miles away, and this is literally the only piece everyone's been. Uh, this is only the only film people want to read about right now, and that's the only film that uh, maybe you have something to say about. So as soon as I came back from from uh, Norway, I I immediately went to the hall the same day and watched Patan. and ended up writing about it a week late it was it was a very satisfying experience because uh, i didn't have a deadline number mm. one and second i could just sort of do almost a post mortem uh, and and include the reaction and include the sort of the reaction to patan which everyone's talking about because it is the biggest film we've had in years uh, it's not just post pandemic uh, bollywood it's it's um, it's been breaking records across the world and it also stars uh, i mean it also features one of the biggest superstars uh, that we've had shahrukh khan so and it's his comeback after like four and a half years of doing no films because he did a bunch of not very good films in the last decade and people wondered if he if he was um, if he had the same kind of star power anymore or if he was going to uh, come back as an actor and he's 57 already but uh, you know he came back with a very typically silly smart sort of action blockbuster that that you'd see some someone like tom cruise owning in in sort, sort of top gun maverick the context is more or less the same because it's almost the old school superstar coming back and reminding people that uh, he's still around and he can still do things that uh, the young generation can't do and i think the entire narrative around pathan has become bigger than the film itself because to be honest the film itself is pretty pretty stupid uh, <laughs> it's just that people are enjoying it uh because i guess people needed it at this point and people wanted to see something uh that reminded them of not just pre pandemic india but uh say india of the 90s or india of the 2000s and i guess they got i guess a lot of factors came together to make pathan uh, such a big hit and you know as we speak it's still sort of doing pretty well and i'm i'm quite surprised by it because when i watched the film i'm like i get it it's not the film it's it's far more than that. I mean, in in a way, that the parallel with uh, Top Gun Maverick continues because I, I think Top Gun Maverick is a fairly, I mean, it's it's okay, yeah. it's okay, <laughs> it's <laughs> fine. Some of the action sequences, especially the last half hour, yeah, are, yeah. Are, are superb, and I I I love the craft of it and all the rest of it. But yeah. there are, I mean, every time they're not in an airplane, that film sort of really gr- <laughs> grinds to a halt, and you know. <laughs> They seem to spend like three days in the bar at the beginning of the of the movie, <laughs> and it's like this scene is just not going anywhere. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, yeah. You, you, you had a similar reaction to Top Gun, or how was your how was your? Uh... I, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing because um, the bar scene that you're talking about, I was like, that's a pretty long setup for for an action film, and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I was. obviously the first top gun actually released the year i was born right. so by the time i uh, by the time i watched it i was i was well into my sort of teens so i watched it pretty late and so i i never really got the hype about the first one because i watched it way after it released uh, so by the time the second one came around i i really went in with absolutely not only zero expectations negative expectations because mm-hmm. i like you know it's i mean i've been watching the mission impossible movies most of my life uh so i didn't expect this to be any different but as you said the last half an hour was was uh, i i don't think i've had a better time at the movies in the last year you know uh, mm-hmm. it it felt like that uh, and all the scenes in the plane and all the scenes sort of all the action sequences were just so well crafted uh, but you know again a, a very clunky awkward setup it's the same as pathan you know it's it's when when people are speaking and when when you know you're supposed to basically when the story is supposed to move along when there's a narrative sort of trying to emerge from the rubble of the action it's very awkward like most action films but um, but yeah you you take it as face um, you know at face value and i eventually uh, given that the last half an hour was so 
engaging i i sort of came out with a smile on my face yeah i think it's really interesting what you say about action cinema and and like that that context in which you initially see it because mm. i remember i was i was in my early i guess early teens when top gun came out and mm. so, uh, so i'm very old compared to you <laughs> and, and so i um and so I was in that state. I got I'd gone beyond the sort of Indiana Jones stuff of my of my youth, and you know I I I'd enjoyed all that action cinema. That was to me the golden age, yeah. and and the eighties with Top Gun and Rambo and sort of then Arnold Schwarzenegger emerging. Action movies had sort of become this um, kind of Reaganite American political thing that yeah. that it was almost kind of like especially in britain i'm not sure about the rest of europe but if you liked films these were films to just absolutely dismiss they're just like oh they're these crazy right-wing nonsense especially you know yeah. rambo 2 and rambo 3 were specifically sort of like you know this was the, this was a decade of red dawn as well the john millius film of course yeah um so I ne I even though I'm the kind of guy who should should be the target audience for this film in terms of being nostalgic towards it, I guess mm. my nostalgia was just wasn't there. It was just I mm. I, I was like, well, was isn't this a like military propaganda bullshit sort sort yeah, of thing? Yeah. So I I didn't come at it with and I I you know that I, well. I've already said it. I don't don't need to repeat it. I enjoyed the last bit. I enjoyed the planes bit, but also from a political point of view, it's just hmm. like, you know, oh look at these huge airplanes, and let's pretend that America isn't the greatest superpower, uh, technic technologically by inventing some mysterious magic other plane that people have. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. That's what I was curious about actually, because um, I mean. Uh, there's the lens of the action film can only take you so far, uh, which was most evident in, I guess, in Top Gun uh, Maverick. And uh, about the military propaganda lens, which which was so obvious, because uh, when, when I saw the Oscar nominations, I was like, oh, it's cute how they tend to balance uh, a Top Gun Maverick with All Quiet at the Western Front, which is basically an anti-war film in the same lineup. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty designed uh, on itself. And that, so when I came out of Top Gun Maverick, I was like, um, that was absolutely mind-blowing the last half an hour. Uh, and funnily enough, as it often happens when you have to write about these films, uh, after enjoying them or after not enjoying them, uh, that's when a lot of these themes start to dawn on you. Mm. Uh, and that's when you start to realize that, did I actually, um, did I just enjoy the spectacle? Was there anything more to that than that? Because the, the same thing happened to a lot of us while we were writing about RRR, which was which was probably the biggest Indian film in the last decade or so. And and given its spread, uh, I, I'm guessing a lot of writers went uh, you know went through the same process because mm. it's one thing enjoying it in the moment, which I did with all these action films that we are talking about. But when you get down to writing about it, you start obviously. Uh, having to reflect on a lot of themes within the film because you, beyond the one line saying that you know the craft is is amazing and the plane sequence or or the the interval sequence in RRR is amazing, then you have to go uh, deeper than that, and that's when a lot of these themes emerge. And and I guess uh, I guess that's why also to put it in context, a lot of people um, are cheering for the success of. Uh, the film uh, within India too, because mm. politically it's a very important film. Um, mm. It's not about what's happening in the film so much. It's about who is starring in the film. Uh, uh, Shah Rukh Khan is a superstar, but he's also a Muslim superstar, and he's mm. um, and he currently occupies a country that has a right-wing government, and mm. uh, and uh, sort of there's a lot of Hindu propaganda being. Uh, going on in a lot of action films and patriotic films in the last 10 or 15 years. So basically, there was a lot riding on Pathan in that sense, because if the audience had rejected this film, it would be pretty obvious that India isn't the secular country it is so proud of being. And uh, it's actually that the right-wing government has sort of um, really 
um, sort of dug its claws into the masses more than they've realized. But the success of Patan basically proves that a Muslim superstar can still win audiences over, no matter how uh, how much propaganda the government itself is spreading through the kind of films they've been uh, platforming, through the kind of films they've been promoting. Um, and that's why uh, that's why I guess um, that. Patan is more of a sort of political success than cinematic or an artistic success. And I'm guessing um, that's why it's given us a lot of liberals, a lot of writers, a lot of artists who are inherently liberals, a lot of hope. Because uh, even though the film itself isn't great, uh, I think it's it's a nice little sort of snapshot of the future that says that, you know, it's not only right-wing films that are, go- that are going to be doing well. Um, I, I think everyone still has a platform. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's such a that's that's such an interesting context because uh, you know, we had a we had a conversation which I'd like to revisit a little bit. Um, yeah. In the uh, you know, I was I was telling you that my ignorance of Indian film is fairly is fairly profound. I mean, I I, I have the you know, I I've, I've watched the the Indian films that that are on the sort of sight and sound best two hundred and fifty uh, list. Um, one of which I think is, is directed by uh, Jean Renoir, so I'm not sure if that counts necessarily. No. <laughs> um, but um, uh, the the popularity of RRR, right, is it Rise Revolt Revolution or Rise Revolt? Uh, yeah, something like that. I think yeah, it is because yeah. I mean, after a while, I, I lost track of the initials. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was hugely popular um, internationally, and it's been hugely popular yeah. with, I'm sure people listening to this, there will be a fair few who were putting it on their top 10 lists. And yeah. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed mm. it um, the way I enjoyed John Woo movies from the 1990s, uh, the, the Hong Kong movies, the killer, hard-boiled, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But but I did have like a nagging suspicion that, that uh, we were all missing something or we were Hmm. all you know um we were all willing to give it way too much of a pass or or not or not to educate ourselves basically into the background so could could you give us a little bit of the background of it as of why this might be a more problematic film seen from the indian context yeah so i I mean rrr obviously massive spectacle and very enjoyable uh you know at pace value i enjoyed it i love watching it when i was watching it i felt like you know i'd come back to the movies after a long time and uh i'll be honest you know when uh even when i was writing about so rrr is basically a telugu film uh telugu Mm -hmm. is a a south indian sort of in a totally separate film industry uh which churns out a lot of mainstream action films every year and their action films are actually uh, uh, probably some of the biggest Indian films almost every year. Uh, it's mm. very different from the Hindi film industry, which is Bollywood. Um, so so uh, let's just call it Tollywood for now. Mm-hmm. But uh, given that RRR is from that industry, uh, which is an entirely different culture, um, I think a lot of us Hindi film writers, the, the, the critics who write about Bollywood films, also, um, at least personally. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I missed a lot of subtext myself. Uh, uh, A lot of problematic uh, sort of undertones were pointed out by the film critics from the south of India. 
the ones who actually have grown up in the region where films like rrr have been doing well for years mm-hmm. um so they were the ones who actually started the discourse and it then slowly started spreading across india uh and you know more people started talking about it on social media and that's when i caught on to it as well because when i watched it the second time when it dropped on netflix um i started realizing that uh, sure the spectacle is great but like any great action film there is more to what the filmmaker may have been subconsciously saying or what he may be deliberately quite obviously putting forward uh, in my opinion it was subconscious but the background is that um there's uh, there's a lot of subtext about hindu mythology see uh, in that in itself isn't a problem but given that we are in 2023 we are in a right wing country where hindu majority uh, majoritarianism is on the rise where hindutva the uh, basically the right wing government has been propagating hindutva and erasure of all of the other religions and the mm. minorities um given that we live in that kind of atmosphere the undertones of the hindu mythology and especially the last 30 minutes of rrr where you see them sort of um almost uh, metamorphize into uh, mythological figures from uh, hindu mythology one of them becomes ram um, mm-hmm. uh, and it becomes this almost fantastical uh, film after being about basically a, a very large scale romance um, mm-hmm. and um, that that's when um, you start to realize that the filmmaker may uh, have been sort of um, almost um, loading his film with the kind of subtext that a lot of us have been wary about uh, it's just that he's managed to conceal it better than a lot of other big budget or mainstream filmmakers uh, from india because he is so skilled there's no doubt about it he's probably the best director of action set pieces we've had in in decades uh, but but the fact that um, uh, there was a even as far as the subtext of um, say the era it was set in uh, basically the freedom fighting era against the british mm. um, I, i think a lot of the more liberal freedom fighters and the more secular freedom fighters say like gandhi mahatma gandhi who everyone is familiar with uh, and a few others a, uh, a lot of them were erased or or were curiously absent from the film as symbols uh, what was uh, basically present were symbols of the more violent freedom fighters Uh, mm. of or of the more radical uh, sort of freedom fighters and these are things that you only pick up you know after you sort of uh, enjoy the film at face value and watch it the second time and that's when even i made it a point to watch it again and to see what everyone from the south was talking about and even i caught on to things but by then obviously you know rrr has spread by wild, like wildfire across the globe and it, I, i don't believe it is necessary to always look at a film in context of the region it's from or in context of the country it's from because it's impossible because every film is inherently from somewhere and there is always going to be something that say a foreigner or um, someone from uh, an entirely different uh, culture will not get and maybe they aren't supposed to maybe they are supposed to look at uh, uh, the film uh, as an action spectacle which is which it's brilliant at doing uh but at the same time i'm i'm glad that discourse like this um sort of at least um you know starts a conversation about whether films like this are actually problematic or whether uh whether maybe the director isn't as um isn't putting um a lot of sinister tones compared to you know what we've seen in the last decade especially in hindi cinema because they've been very blatant about a lot of Uh, uh about a lot of hinduism and hindu scriptures and hindu mythology in a lot of nationalistic films we've been making in the last decade but rrr i'd say is a little more subtle compared to that still you know it's mm. it's something that maybe only a uh, particular subsection of people can pick up on and then maybe talk about it so you so i'm i was very engaged in the discourse i didn't have an opinion for the longest time i'll still maintain i very much enjoyed the film but uh if you really want to uh, sort of look at it there are uh, i mean there are uh, problematic undertones to it and it, it really depends on where you come from and what you want to take away from that film 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's the same thing. When I was just to go back to Top Gun in a way, as as a way yeah. of sort of illustrating how I, I think about that. You know, through the eighties, there's there's Clint Eastwood making these Dirty Harry movies. There's uh, and each Dirty Harry movie is becoming increasingly Reaganite and increasingly right wing. Yeah. Um, you, you're having the Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Sylvester Stallone muscle off with a very obvious sort of. And it's not actually until say Die Hard that you that you deflate that sort of pumped up steroidy masculinity, and you have now all the way through that these films are making massive dollar, and there are uh, and anybody who's pointing out isn't this just like a pro, you know propagandistic mm. sort of stuff is is obviously being sort of categorized as a killjoy or whatever. But mm. now, nowadays, you would never look back at those films without thinking, oh, isn't it interesting yeah. how this was the Rocky Four? You know, I mean, there's no subtext in Rocky Four. It's on the poster, yeah. you know, he's he's yeah. draped in an American flag on the poster. Uh, uh, no problems with spoilers. He's obviously victorious on the poster as well. <laughs> um, and so... So that so given enough time, everybody is like, oh yeah, yeah, we can talk about this uh, in yeah. this in this context. I don't think um, you know going going and taking this forward to RRR. Hmm. I don't think that it's necessarily. I think we have this sort of internet-infused vocabulary of critical mm. appreciation these days. You know, we talk about the discourse, and we talk about something being problematic, and yeah. pro problematic in in itself is is a really interesting word because it seems to be a placeholder for argument. It seems to be like, I'll just say something is problematic, but we won't actually get into you know we won't necessarily go into that. Um, and I, I, my interest is not necessarily in a film being agreeing with me or disagreeing with me or having propaganda for the right or for the left or for the middle it's more mm. let's just not depoliticize stuff i mean it's political yeah. let's just put our cards on the table and i i can now watch the rambo films the dirty harry films and and say what a bunch of right-wing trash from an ideological point of view but also that's a lot of fun here and a lot of fun there you know hmm. um so it's so but but i i think the problem in specifically with a western approach to rr is the is just like oh it comes from another place they can't possibly have politics beyond beyond <laughs> sort of imperialism beyond a reaction to 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 british imperialism or, or yeah. west hmm. um well, you know, here's a news flash. India, I'm sure you don't know this, Rahul, so it'll come as news to yeah. you, but India has a complicated polit political culture and, and, and all the rest yeah. of it. The biggest democracy yeah. in the world. I'm, I'm sure you're glad I'm explaining that to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm a lot of the... a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that a lot of the discourse in the West is can sometimes be dismissive of you know these the the spectacles that actually cross over uh, you know say like a crouching tiger did like 20 years ago mm. um, i mean you know for for it's a very exoticized worldview and and it's something that even we in india are guilty of you know mm. we we look at western films a certain way as well uh, mm. you know for example i mean a lot of us are still not willing to believe that uh, a film like Forrest Gump was had its issues, yeah, uh, and uh, was a was a distinctly republican worldview. And it's only after basically, obviously, living a little, obviously, reading a little, watching a lot of movies that you come to your sort of conclusion. But uh, you know, as people who obviously are within the discourse, whether you like it or not, and whether we've been consuming it day in day out on Twitter and social media. Uh, I, I guess the biggest challenge is to sort of really segregate our ability to say enjoy um, a film for what it is and then judge a film for its politics because every film is political 
you know mm. even the most personal films a memoir is political uh it's it it represents like you know a steven spielberg film it represents a certain kind of americanism that is is uh, very distinct in its politics so uh i, I guess every artist uh, has uh, a political point of view whether they want to admit it or not and it's all visible in their work so as people who watch these films and and write about these films um i i always find it fascinating because every year i'm sort of evolving into a different kind of writer or a kind of thinker where i'm i'm wondering that okay this film is uh, it, it it has its politics a little skewed but uh, god damn that was really enjoyable um <laughs> you know and and that happens quite often and and you know you can't say it most of the time because you're going to be pounced on as you said you know there's the internet language that's out there uh you can't really say it without actually digging deep into your feelings about how much uh, a, a film should affect you on what level it should affect you whether you're okay with uh disagreeing with its politics and at the same time enjoying its craft and uh, you know the answer is never simple it's never it's always complicated and i guess that's why uh you know it, it's that's why i consider it like a tough thing to do but also such a rewarding thing to do because you you become i feel like you we become smarter after every review we do because we are battling our own biases and prejudices uh with every piece and with every podcast we do with with every conversation we have uh and and we get maybe a little more clearer or a little more muddled in our thinking after that and uh, i think films like rrr and top gun and uh, uh, you know pathan uh I, i think they take us a little closer to um to the kind of approach we might want to have uh, towards the cinema we watch and personally politically culturally in every way possible and and i watch a lot of old films like you said i watch uh, rocky films almost all the time now like at least once a year i'm watching a rocky film i'm watching forest gump every other year uh, and and you know I, and i know and i know that it's um, there are issues now and and i sometimes curse the fact that i'm old enough to recognize those issues and not enjoy the film uh, like i once used to as a kid but it is what and that's how that's what cinema is that's what art is it's supposed to make you feel com- uh, feel complicated emotions and uh, and i guess these films bring it to the forefront yeah I, yeah absolutely i and i i love rewatching those movies and and it can happen with um you know so called sort of uh well it, it happens with all kinds of cinema uh, i i recently yeah. rewatched raging bull and mm. and i found that so hard to watch and I, uh, and uh, it's obvious it's a wonderfully made film it's a wonderfully performed film mm. and it what was but what was difficult was i i couldn't get over just how awful he is and obviously that's the point it's a portrait in a damaged man and how a man who's causing a lot of damage and i get all that i get it but it almost like it was almost like sort of looking through the window at the apartment opposite where a man is beating his wife and not being able to do anything about it and just thinking you know <laughs> just just a very viscerally unpleasant feeling and i think the first time i watched that film when i was 14 15 i would have been look at how he shoots the boxing scenes look at how beautiful yeah. the black and white is <laughs> uh and and kathy moriarty's character who is the sort of the heart of the film and who is brilliantly portrayed by the actress and and, and kind quite well handled by the film you know yeah um she's almost like the most interesting she well, she is the most interesting character in a way um but it's it Yeah. Well in terms of your you know you said at the at the beginning we were talking about how you were learning you were doing these columns where you connect your life what was the first film that you sort of wrote about in that way Um I guess the first film I wrote about that way uh, was Nebraska Oh right um, the Alexander yeah, Payne I, Yes uh, I think back in 2014 I wasn't writing this I was just reviewing I just in fact started professionally reviewing them mm. um so I was getting a little exhausted uh reviewing stuff that I didn't want to most of the time mm. so I I had my own blog and I was like okay 
um, on the weekends, obviously, like most of, like, like probably everyone else, I watched the films I really wanted to. And Nebraska was one of them because um, the theme really interested me because uh, it hit very close to home because uh, because it's about um, a father who had drinking problem and uh, a son, an adult son who's, who's grown up, who's driving him across uh, uh, the state. And um, to me, I don't know what it was. I had no plan to do it, but because, uh, you know, I, even um, my father while growing up was an alcoholic. He had problems. Uh, he had problems sort of uh, holding on to jobs and uh, stuff like that. While watching the film, um, uh, I, I got a lot of, uh, you know, as it turns out, I got a lot of flashbacks of my own childhood. And mm. there were a lot of scenes, moments in the film that reminded me, uh, you know, directly about the experiences I went through. The way... Um, uh, you know the way he looks in the film as well. Um, uh, there was a certain way um, you know he carried himself that reminded me a lot of a uh, lot of physical aspects of my title. So I just uh, after that film, I just felt that urge to maybe make sense of it. I didn't set out to write a piece, but uh, I just started writing something on my blog, and it turned out to be like a like a two thousand or three thousand word uh, thing. And uh, and yeah, that's that's when I realized that. And it really was cathartic, and it and I was I was young then. I wasn't half the writer I am right now. I I wasn't half the thinker I am right now. So so for me, it it really unlocked a lot of areas in my head and in my heart that I didn't know I had, and that uh, that it's possible to express yourself through the medium of film, even though you're writing about someone else's art. It can be your own art as well. Uh, that's when I woke up to that. And uh, I guess that Nebraska piece got me thinking about um, if there is an alternative kind of culture writing, of cinema writing, that maybe people will be more accepting of. And, you know, fortunately, I found sort of editors who believed in that as well. And so they helped me with the, getting the column sort of uh, published uh, a year or two later. So, but yeah, that was the film that started it all. That's amazing. That's so. It's such an interesting, and and I I think that's a real, um, that really relates to to sort of the core of why we go to the cinema as well. Is 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 we mm. go there to learn these things, and we go to not not every single film. We don't want to necessarily have as as you you know, uh, that the, there's plenty of other a variety of things that we can feel when we go to the cinema. Um, yeah. But but that that's the sort of gold, isn't it? That's the stuff we're hunting. I guess it's the it's a purest kind of feeling, right? We I mean, as you said, it's why we go to the movies. Uh, it's a purest kind of feeling when a film you feel like it's directly speaking to you, or it's speaking to you in a way no other human being can, and mm. you you feel like you're part of the film, but at the same time you know very well that there's a screen that sort of separates you uh, from what's happening and, and it's fiction and it's real. And uh, and I, I guess I've always found that divide very fascinating. Uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the essays I've sort of compiled or written over the years about this, I mean, this particular column or this particular theme of life meeting the movies because, uh, uh, because I, I really do get very emotionally sort of exhausted while writing them. And it's also the most rewarding I mm. feel at the end of every other fortnight. And uh, it's not the kind of feeling reviewing gives me or say uh, writing more academic pieces about cinema gives me. Uh, it's that writing that, and, and I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to have even reached a stage where I can actually write something like that without worrying about whether it's going to get published, whether, whether people are going to read about it, because that's the last thing on my mind most of the time. It's just because I need to do it. And it makes me uh, it makes me a better person and, by extension, sometimes a better writer. Mm. Yeah. Have you, what's the, the latest film that you've, that you've sort of encountered that has had that sort of effect on you? Um, I, I guess the latest film was After Sun. Mm, mm, right. Um, that was uh, that was in fact the most recent column as well. Uh, I actually set about trying to review After Sun, and it very quickly and swiftly turned into uh, one of the columns because um, because of the themes, because of um, the the central sort of 
because of the central theme of memories and because i am at a stage of my life as well where i'm always worried about time slipping away uh with my father or with my parents and who live sort of in another city mm. so it, it just got me really sort of worked up and i guess that's the uh, and i guess it's also the piece i was most satisfied with um a taste in the last two or three months well yeah that's a that's a film that's touched many many people and i think it's yeah. uh it's one of those it's kind kind of quite interesting because there's a sort of minor backlash to it there are people mm. sort of saying oh i admire it but it hasn't yeah it's sort of like <laughs> you know just because it's touched a lot of people it doesn't have to touch everyone you know it's yeah, like uh, it, it's like the same thing with democracy you know you don't have to get everybody to agree with you you just need 51 percent. you know you don't, <laughs> you don't have to yeah. win everybody and in fact you know there's something to be said for films which are divisive or 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 even niche that they have an appeal to certain people they do it very well and they're never going to be popular they're never going to be um you know uh yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at a few of those films at the moment so that's why that's that's um oh yeah i mean i always feel like the best kind of divisive films are the ones that you don't feel the need to defend because mm. you know what it means you know what it means to you and you know um you don't really have to debate it because you know the other person may not relate to it it may not work for the other person the same and you're totally at peace with that and and you know that it, it sort of changed you in a very little way and i guess i i felt the same way uh, about after sun either because the funny thing is i watched it twice the first time i watched it on the big screen it didn't work for me at all i just did not get into the film or get the film uh, maybe because it was the fourth film i was watching at a film festival in the same day Uh, mm. my mind was a little tired but then the second time i actually watched it to write about it uh, it felt like a totally different film and i felt like a totally different person so i guess that only reiterates what you're saying mm yeah absolutely absolutely that's uh, that's 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 really interesting i i i very i, I it's not very frequent that i rewatch new films you know um yeah uh, but having said that Uh, like i one of the reasons i realized that the elvis was one of my favorite films of the year was not because no. i would put it up there as anything you know it was just simply because it was the only film that i watched in can that i was happy to pay to watch again um no. and so yeah, just at the pure entertainment level you know i i wanted to go in and enjoy that again and so that was uh yeah yeah that was um sometimes i worry as well that i don't i i sort of don't detect the divisiveness as much as maybe i should so for instance i watched the whale and thought that was perfectly fine i it wasn't oh yeah same here. It, um, i i watched it i think at tromso itself when mm. we were there and uh, and i guess that's i mean that part of it i, I don't think you're supposed to look i mean i i don't think you're supposed to enjoy a film or not enjoy a film uh in relate in direct relationship with the people who are watching it around us and mm. and i guess that's what makes the medium so special because uh, as you said you know i watched elvis actually on the plane to norway right. uh, and uh, you know i missed it on the big screen which i regret and it is one of my favorite directors because i still watch uh, i still watch his romeo and juliet almost every year and yeah. uh, you know i was a big fan of mula rouge back when it uh, when, when i was still very young it sort of showed me a very different kind of musical which i didn't know existed before that i had only seen conventional musicals um so to see even a film like elvis on a flight uh, it hit very differently and i was and i was supremely entertained as well and and i knew for a fact that it's it's the kind of film a lot of people will love to look down on and it's not an exactly and sort of uh, a sophisticated or an award season film which is why I was very happy to see it as part of you know uh, part of the list because i didn't i didn't i didn't expect that and at the same time i'd say it's not like a brilliant film or a life altering film but as you said it's something that i really enjoyed in the moment and given a chance uh, i'd be happy to watch it again yeah yeah absolutely absolutely brilliant i mean, raul 
one last question because you've been very generous with your time and that's absolutely uh, I, I i'd love to have you on the podcast in the future um to, to talk some more because um i feel like we're scratching the surface yeah, um, absolutely uh but um i want uh one one last question is that we are i always ask for a recommended book for our for our listeners to uh mm. so a film book that you have that you've read that you would like to recommend it doesn't have to be recent it can be it could be any film book that you've read and has informed your love of cinema um i mean you know that's the one work i forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast uh i'm i'm not actually much of a reader um, oh no i yeah i know and that that would make for entirely different and interesting separate podcast because i'm one of those uh people who haven't grown up reading my my father is a big reader and uh, i guess he tried to force so many books on me so so much liter- uh, literature on me while i was growing up that i totally went the opposite way and i stopped mm. reading very early when i was in college or something and it's not like i'm not it, it's not a deliberate decision it's just mm-hmm. uh i'd rather watch stuff and i'd rather figure stuff out on my own than um i mean it's a personal it's almost a personal work of sorts and um mm. you know whatever little i do end up reading is when when i'm traveling or uh, when i'm on a flight and it's mostly fiction i i mm. i'm not um i'm to date i've not read a film book and oh my God. Uh, I've, I've, yeah well, i know i want to you have to uh, go through the list of this podcast and get some recommendations then because oh uh... i will i will if i have to start <laughs> my education i know where to start it but uh, but yeah but, uh, but again you know i feel like most of the time i feel like that 24 hours in a day and i'm spending 15 hours watching stuff right and i'm like enough. uh when will i read stuff so what what um, about what about other film critics so there are other film critics that you read on a sort of like yeah i do read a lot of so i i mean i i don't read books but i read hmm. a lot of uh, criticism i read a lot of uh, in general i read a lot of culture from all over the world i think right. like everyone else and um, and uh, yeah i mean i i read a lot of um, i think one of my favorite critics is uh, anthony lane and Mm. uh eo scott and i mean i grew up reading a lot of their pieces um uh, of course you like everyone else um i grew up reading roger ebert as well but i was i, I mean i i was very um in in the documentary on him a couple of years ago i or maybe 10 years ago i don't know mm. uh, which was called life itself i think that um that documentary on its own rather than his criticism itself had convince me to take my craft a little more seriously so it was the documentary mm. that changed the way i wanted to look at my job and and the way i look at films and uh, yeah so for me that was a that was a very big deal uh, so yeah i i do read a lot of um, uh, reviews from all over the world as well because it helps me keep in touch uh, uh, with a lot of titles and with a lot of film festival movies as well that uh, that you know we don't get to watch a lot here Mm-hmm. So uh where's your next film festival what 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 are you going to next Um I wish I had an answer to that because I mean Norway happened uh, I mean Tromsø happened totally um you know fortuitously and uh, it was because a lot of people stepped in to help but uh, the thing is we don't travel a lot to film mm-hmm. festivals from here because it's it's more of a financial thing because sure. uh, not a lot of publications pay for your travel or Uh, you don't earn enough here as a journalist to go to foreign film festivals so i mean most of my film festivals are to places that are generous enough to host you mm-hmm. uh, and i guess that's why that that's the i've not been to any of the big film festivals like berlin and cannes or uh, you know venice or any of those but uh, but i have been to sundance a couple of times and i hope to be there back in the future um, mm-hmm. um because that's only sort of uh a big international film festival that i've attended but i you know having said that i'd i'd love to um i'd love to attend any of the big film festivals this year i'm just hoping for a miracle or something yeah we will well i know thierry fromo listens to the podcast and he's the festival director of can so he should come on thierry you know come <laughs> on right for listening why not <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't think he listens. I'm not sure. Who knows? Who knows? Um, Raul, listen, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation, a real education for me um, uh, to hear your thoughts. Um, no, same here on your career uh, 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 and and your perspective. It's been fascinating. So thanks thanks a lot, Raul. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I uh, hope to have a, uh, do a new podcast in the future as well. that was my conversation with Rahul. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I certainly thought it was a, a really informative, a really interesting to just get a different perspective and, and see things from a, a different angle, including a ge geographical one and cultural one and political one. So really appreciate Rahul for talking to me and hopefully he'll come back on the pod when he's written his book or even before then. And we'll, uh, and, and I imagine we've it feels like an ongoing conversation which i'm really happy to uh to to continue um i've already thanked elliot and ali but i can do so again uh but uh most of all i'd like to thank you um for listening uh remember if you can spread the word that would be much appreciated writers on film will be back next week uh with a new guest and um i'll see you then take care listener Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.